Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Good morning and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. How do you know it's good morning, Linda? They might be listening at midnight. Oh, that's true. It's morning for us. Somebody told me the other day they listened to Ayers on the Road. It puts them right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are glad to be back on Ayers on the Road. It's October. It's the end of October. It's late autumn. My favorite season of the year, partly because. It is your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> um, we're at the end of October here, um, whenever you're listening to this. But it is always fun to have grandfather's birthday. Grandfather is what, as you know, as you may or may not know, is his name by his grandchildren. But <laughs> we love to uh, meet them. We have a lot of families in Utah all of a sudden. For the first time this year, we've doubled the number, more than doubled the number who live close. So we're going to participate in my birthday tradition tomorrow, which as some of you who know us well, understand the tradition is jumping in the leaves, but not only jumping in the autumn leaves, burying each other in the autumn leaves, jumping out of trees into the autumn leaves, um, stuffing autumn leaves down each other's back. Why don't you tell the origin of that tradition? Well, uh, I do have to say that it is absolutely spectacular out here in Utah this fall. Maybe it had something to do with such a crazy winter last year, which we're kind of headed for again because we already got snow yesterday. But um, we just, it started with a long time ago because leaves and autumn are just your favorite thing in the world. Well, and you know, our we're, we are a little over the top on traditions. We think that traditions and rituals are the, the glue that holds families together. And, um, you know, we all have a birthday tradition. And all the time growing up, each of the kids had their own personal birthday traditions. Sadie's was floating her birthday cake on a lake or some body of water. A moat or whatever we can <laughs> Noah's find. Noah's was going bowling. I mean, we just all had a birthday tradition. And I asked the kids when they were pretty young, really young, what, what should we do? What's our tradition on my birthday? Oh, Daddy, it's jumping in the leaves. It's it's the it's the prettiest time. We, we just have to bury each other. And I really thought that tradition would sort of die out as they got older because, hey, it's kind of a silly little kid thing to do. But it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now they're in high school and they're like, uh, can we invite our friends and can we go to the park where there's lots of big leaves and trees to jump out of? And can you make hot chocolate? And and can we jump out of the trees into the leaves? Um, and it really has become so fun. It's so, just never stopped. Well, wherever anybody is, they either send a leaf or send a video of them jumping in the leaves or where, you know, and they've been better all tell, over the world. I better tell that, don't you think? I mean, I don't know. If we, I think we might have told this one other time on ours on the road. But it was a breakthrough for me. I mean, I think you always understood how powerful traditions were. And 
you're the one that I think first started calling them the glue that holds families together. Right. And in our family, we just had a tiny little family, one sister, one brother. But Oh, and you're um, growing up. Then. And I growing up, we didn't ever do anything like that. Um, it snowed on my birthday once. I remember in April, the end of April, and I was sad about that. But we just hadn't thought about formalizing it. And I came from parents who were born in the last, my grandfather was, my dad was born in 1892. That dates me, but he was also he 55 was really when I was born. born. So. Uh-oh, now people can do yeah, the math. Can figure that out. But anyway. <laughs> but, but anyway, we just, you know, we believe in traditions. They are, you all know, I mean, when you have a tradition, your kids will not let it die. If you're supposed to put the tinsel on the tree in a special way and you do it wrong, they're like, no, that's not how we do it. There's something about belonging and being part of and it just it's just a powerful powerful thing and anyway i said what should we do on my birthday and they said jump in the leaves so we have ever since but there was a year when the oldest three of our children all had left home for the first time i mean they'd gone away to college but they'd usually come back for special things and so on and this particular year three of them were really gone Josh was in, in away in his dorm in school. Saren was a missionary doing humanitarian work and missionary work in Bulgaria. And Shawnee was in Romania. And I thought, well, this is a birthday I'll have to get along without my three oldest kids. But there were that morning three birthday cards in the mailbox exactly on time. And I I have a hard time even telling this story because it always reminds me of how how powerful these traditions can be. But I went in my den. I opened the first one. It wasn't a card. It was a leaf. And the leaf fell out on my desk. I had a little post-it note on it from our daughter, Saren, that said, Dear Dad, this is a Bulgarian leaf. The orphans helped me honor your tradition. Dad, don't forget, just because I'm far away, I'm still part of our family. And that is powerful. That said it. That really said it. It really was just striking because, of course, we missed her and she missed us, but she still felt a part of us. And I, you know, you always think about the listeners listening, thinking they've lost some of their children and they don't, they do feel estranged and so on. And that's part of life. But that was an especially poignant one. Well, to finish the story, I opened the second one in Shawnee in Romania, another leaf, another note. They hadn't talked to each other. This was just each on their own. And so I finally opened Josh's and another leaf. No note, because this is Josh. This is a boy. Oh, I can I see him in his room thinking, I'll just send Dad a leaf. He'll know exactly what it is. He'll means. know. He'll know. <laughs> but boy traditions are powerful. So so we are about to experience another, yet another birthday. With grandkids. <clears throat> we'll probably have 30 people jumping in leaves tomorrow. <laughs> I hope the weather cooperates. I know. And it could rain or snow on us, but um, it is fun to have traditions. If you haven't, um, well, depending on whether you're a parent or a grandparent, just thinking of something fun you can do for people's traditions is really a unifying thing. So give it a thought. We have a tradition book. It's a big leather-bound book we got in England. And every month, there's at least one tradition that we all try to honor. 
and celebrate even when we're distant. And again, back to the point, kids don't let them die. Once you establish a tradition, I guarantee you it'll last. Your kids will be sure it does. Yeah. And when you have kids that move away, which so many of us do, more than how many, what's the percentage of people have lived keep children living away from yeah them. we did a survey among our in our grandparents class and uh this was almost a thousand people and over 65 percent of them had at least one grandchild that lived 500 miles away or more or more so our tradition now is a little uh zoom call <laughs> yeah zoom well, so that we can happen. you can i will probably have some kids on zoom while we're jumping in the leaves and they might be jumping in their leaves with their little oh they might be they might or be. facetime you know we still do have switzerland and hawaii so um, it'll be night in switzerland <laughs> if they're jumping in leaves it'll be by the moonlight right. <laughs> but today uh i mean i'm tempted to just carry on and talk about I know, traditions because they're <laughs> they're so powerful but we we want to get back to three-letter lessons because it's been three or four weeks since we've done a three-letter lesson. And as some of you longtime listeners know, these three-letter lessons are in the process of becoming, I think, a very unique kind of a self-help book because there's just going to be little chapters on these little sort of how-to-live lessons that are all based around a three-letter word. And they're going to have a link in them where people can go after they read that little chapter, they can link right back to the episode of Ayers on the Road where we talked about that little lesson. And if they want, then they can hear the discussion. And that'll be fun. That'll be fun. But going on. So our word for today today? is the word when, W-I-N. Now, before you shut off or pause your your podcast and say, oh, no, something about winning. Oh, I'm so sick of win and and compete and so on. We're going to put a little new slant on the word win today. Okay. Because it often has a bad slant. Let me ask you this, Linda. What what does winning imply? If if you win, um, is that just human nature? Are we all wired to want to win, to want to compete, to want to beat someone else, to want to prevail? Is that part of our evolution that we survival of the fittest? What, 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 why is winning such a huge part of our culture and our society? Well, if you think about it, uh, win when you're dealing with more than one people means that you're better than them or you did better, you succeeded uh, and somebody has to lose. I mean, if there's a winner or a loser. But if you are dealing with yourself, then it's a little different because I did a win. I, I keep thinking I'm going to do a new program with, you know what it is. I have a, <laughs> I have a little ring that I just One think I'm going to do every ring. day. And um, every day I yourself. think, oh, you're I'm going to do that. But yeah, then that's, when you do succeed, then you're, you are winning yourself. I mean, you're beating what you did the last time and doing it better. Yeah, I read a little article about little wins. Get get yourself a little win every morning, even if all it is is, um, you know, getting one thing checked off your list or or finishing one thing you started yesterday and you, you started to start feeling a little better because I got a little win, you know, but it, but it's a win in your own mind, in your own self. Right. Like I'm trying to drink more water in the morning, as you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and 
Um, I only have half of mine gone so far, but uh, it really is. It's a, it's a little win when you can set a goal and accomplish it. So when you finish drinking that pint of water, you'll have a little win. You'll sort of feel a little bit better. Yes, but then I have to find a restroom. <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. But, but let's let's go back to the, the the more general concept, though. When you win, someone else loses. I mean, the the win lose mentality, and I don't know. What do you think feeds that? Why why do kids grow up and before you know it? I mean, when they're well, I guess when even even when they're toddlers, there there's a kind of a win lose. I I want the toy, and if I take it from you, I won and you lost. I mean, it's just it is sort of part of nature. But don't we sort of cultivate it by all the games we play, from video games to sports games? Where and you know, I love sports, and I play tennis almost every day, and. And I sure feel better when I win, but that means the other guy lost. And why do our movies and our, I mean, we were at a movie the other night and I swear there were like eight previews and every single one of them was about fighting in one way or another. One or two were historical, but most of them were superhero movies. you're You're winning and someone else is losing. What is it about our psyche that, that causes us to compete and compare and social media makes it even worse. Right. And com- do comparing and competing really do anyone any good? I mean, and if you go too far the other way, it sort of becomes ridiculous. Like, you I know, the, the pendulum yeah. swings <laughs> all the way and and our kids are in a sports league and they get a big trophy at the end of the year. And it doesn't say winner. It says, participant <laughs> but they're so happy because they have this trophy we're not we're not saying that's a bad idea but kids kind of get the idea that all they have to do is participate and um and sometimes, takes the fun out of it well doesn't it? you remember though jonas when he first started playing soccer you know yeah, he was he, in the backfield and he would <laughs> go out there and land his back and look up at the sky and cross his legs over during <laughs> he was, was about not five. affected by winning. he was not a bit worried about winning but let's let's take a little break and when we come back let's explore this further this idea of win can it be a good concept can it be helpful or is it usually pitting one person or one team or one effort against another and where should that pendulum stop on the extreme competitive side or on the, hey, I just, I got a trophy because I participated. Let's let's talk about that a little more and maybe in a family context and even in a spiritual context. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Um, we're picking up where we left off with the word win. Um, that can have a really negative context or, or it can be one of the most pleasurable things in the world. And how, if you're a parent or a grandparent, how do you handle it with your kids? I mean, you know, we go to a lot of games now. We go to a lot of, it's funny, we go to mostly, I guess this would be true of most grandparents, we go to games sporting events where the kids are playing, or we go to music recitals. 
Is there more competition in one than the other? What do you think? Oh, yes, definitely. You think? I mean, in the music, the kids are just trying to do their own best. Well, you know, unless they're at a, unless they're at federation up. and they're they're competing for uh, a, what would they get a, a superior, superior, yeah, and they, they did better than someone else who didn't get a superior, yeah. But they're just really trying to do their very own best, and they're devastated if they only get an excellent sometimes. But it is really interesting to think about that because how important is it to win or just do the best that you can? Is that why they have it? <laughs> When you go to these music federation things, that is the best one superior? Yes. And the next one's excellent, and the next one's I'm not very sure. good. I mean, at least they're all pretty positive. Sure the is, worst yeah. one is sort of good, right? <laughs> it's like olives. Have you bought olives lately? The the tiniest olives are large, and then they're the biggest ones are like colossal or humongous <laughs> or something. That's true. I haven't <laughs> thought about that for a long time, but. It is interesting that that in a music comp- competition you're competing with yourself, kind of. But you're you being want judged. to do your very own best, you're but judged. you are being judged, which is terrifying to some people and exhilarating to some. So, what's the net effect on our kids when when their sports and to a, some degree their music is is so competitive? Does that motivate them to do better? Does that push them to go beyond? where they were and and does it give them this sort of sense of self need to improve and to win and to, I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I, if I, to me, the reason tennis is a great exercise, the reason I run fast and put my whole self into it is I'm trying to win, right? If I was just, you know, out there going through the motions and running around the tennis court, I wouldn't run as hard. I wouldn't work as hard. I wouldn't strive as hard. I mean, there's some value in competing, right? Well, there is, but sometimes you can, uh, it kind of overwhelms you. I mean, I'm the one that does the music all the time. I never participated in sports. My mother was so (laughs) athletic. She wanted me to be a great athlete. And my sister was. But I just was not, I was a klutz of the world. So I used to lay in bed at night trying to remember how to bounce the ball <laughs> twice before you take a step. It was really hard on me. But when I did music, you don't actually I have con- to bounce it twice before you take a step. I, you just I, have to- <laughs> I never did learn that. But it really is so hard when you're competing with yourself and also with uh, the result. I mean, are you going to be so embarrassed if you don't get a superior, you know? Well, the reason I'm smiling, Linda, is this woman sitting beside me is a thoroughly competitive person. And the reason <laughs> you sometimes don't do sport, sports is you don't want to do anything you can't win. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> how did okay. you get that? Where do any of us get this drive, this competitive drive to win which oftentimes means we're causing someone else to lose. And is that really what we want to teach our children? Yeah, but no, I kind of disagree with that because what I always wanted to do is do my best. If I made a mistake, that was, that was what was so horrible. But if you did pretty well and felt good about it and lost, you'd, you'd be okay. Well, it depends (laughs) on the sport. (laughs) Well, Um, I want to read you a little thing just to throw a new thing in here. Um, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs 
he was talking about arguing, but arguing is a form of competition. Of course. And trying yeah. to win, right? Debate tournaments. Debate tournaments that, yeah. and so on. There's another thing we could talk about with the kids. But he says an interesting thing. He says, we ought to argue or compete, you could say, out of a desire to discover the truth, not out of cantankerousness or a wish to prevail over our fellows, not out of envy and contentiousness and ambition for victory. When we argue for the sake of the latter, what is at stake is not truth but power. And the result is that both sides sides actually suffer. If you win, I lose. But if I win, I also lose because in diminishing you, I diminish myself. The opposite is the case where the argument is for the sake of truth. If I win, I win. But if I lose, I also win. Because being defeated by the truth is the only form of defeat that is also a victory. Now, you could apply that to a sport, right? If you That's what you just said, actually, honey. If you do your best, and I know this, <laughs> I, I believe this is true, but it sometimes takes a while to think it through. Like, what would I rather do? Beat someone and have me be the winner and him be the loser, but know that I didn't really play my best and neither did he and so on. Or would I rather lose, I'm thinking of tennis now, a really close match where I rose to a new level trying to do my best and the other guy just rose a little further. I'd like to say I feel better about the second one, but actually it's still really hard when you lose. <laughs> yes, but you are always so positive and so um, over the top. Well, I learned so much from that and so on. And we all do that. And it's important to do that. It lifts us when we say I could do better. But um, I, I think that those are the kinds of things that we have to really look inward in our own selves and, and, and decide, did I really learn something from that? And usually we do from failures. We learn a lot, and sometimes it's a hard lesson. No, that's really true. And so getting back to it in a parenting or grandparenting sense, how do we get past the winner and the loser thing? You know, kids start thinking of themselves as winners when they win and they start thinking of themselves as losers when they lose. I <laughs> we had a little grandson who lived in New York City and he came home one day and he, he, and this is he was five he years was old. Five years old. Kindergarten first time in kindergarten <laughs> in PS another public school 32 or whatever it was. And uh, can I tell him yeah, yeah, story? Yeah. He came home to his mom after a couple of days at school and he says, you know, Peter says that I'm a loser, but I don't think I lose things very often. <laughs> totally I mean, he was young and innocent enough that being a loser just meant that maybe he lost his backpack or something, you right. know, and that his kids get a little older than that, not much. Oh, I'm a loser. I lost, you know, or I'm a winner. I'm better than those other kids. I'm special, you know. Either way, it can really be problematic. So how does a parent, you know, understand the, the joy and the benefits of competing and of doing your best and so on, and yet not inbreed into the kids? And you've seen it at little league games, right? I mean, the kid hits a home run and the parents and the whole crowd just adores him and so on. And the, the other kid strikes out and the parent like, 
hides his face and wish he hadn't been there and on and on. How do we, I mean, and, and that's, it's from those things like that, that we get the other pendulum swinging where we say, oh, you're all participating. You're all great. You all get a trophy, but it seems a little hollow. And, and how do we do it as parents and grandparents where we respect competition and motivation, but we don't label kids as winners and losers. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. And it takes me back to the benches of baseball. We have my grandson who's really a terrific baseball player. And we were at a a semi-final or something. And there was one kid on the team who's the star, always the star. Yeah. And he made so many mistakes in that game. And the game was depending on him to get a hit at the end. And he just, he really made some serious mistakes. And all the parents were like, oh, no. But it was so interesting because the parents, you know, are adult. And yeah. they're just like, oh, I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. And they were all, you know, just so sad for him. And then the next game, I remember asking the mom, is he okay? He says, yeah, he's resilient. He's fine. And he did so well the second game. But I think the other kids on the team don't necessarily think that, you know, you creep, you lost that game for us. It is really hard to manage that with children when they feel like they've been disappointed. Well, and it gets, I mean, if you're a parent or grandparent, you sometimes feel like you're fighting your your goal is to help a child realize that there are things in life that are win-win. Those are the things we look for, that you can help one who lost in a game or who got an excellent instead of a superior. You can help him feel good. And And what you started off saying, honey, the whole idea of competing against your own best, your own self, um, just doing a little better than you've ever done. And and parents can try to imbue all of that, right? We can we can talk to kids, even young kids. We can explain that, hey, competition has its place, but it's really about doing your own best, and it's not about pitting yourself against another person. We can talk about that, but when a kid comes home, a hangdog, he just lost something, he, someone else is better than him, all the other kids can do it, and I can't. How... How do we, well, and and where does it all come from? Do you think parents sometimes feel like they're competing against the whole world, which is competitive? And again, back to our movie the other night, eight different previews, every one about fighting, about winning, about being more powerful, about coming out on top and so on. I, I swear, honey, I see another superhero movie. I mean, We've got Ant Man. We've got we've got Hornet Man. We got every kind of superhero the world <laughs> has ever known. And some of the stories are interesting, and kids love them. And I don't want to take that joy away. But isn't the bottom line of all of them winning, fighting, prevailing? Yes, it is. Or or coming out with justice. A lot of them, which was a movie that we just saw. But it really is interesting that there's so much competition in the world and how do our children and grandchildren take that internally it'll be interesting tomorrow i'll be thinking about this when we're with all those kids and the their reactions of who can jump out of the highest tree into the leaves (laughs) oh please (laughs) but it really is interesting that every child has their own little set and then sometimes if they lose and lose and lose they get such a 
complex that it's really difficult to come out from from under it and as we know you know depression and anxiety are so huge in our society right now and a lot of that has to do with winning and they just can't do what they would like to do or be as good as they would like to be or they see people who are better than they are and so on. It is really a scary thing. And it goes so far beyond sports and music, doesn't it? Right. And on social media, it's who can look the best and who has the prettiest hair and who can, I mean, it just becomes a constant comparison. Is there a spiritual dimension to this that can help? Well, and of course the answer is yes. How do we imply it? I mean, I think sometimes we had a big conference in our church not long ago, and one of the themes that was set by the president of our church was something called Think Celestial, Think Bigger, Think from a Higher Perspective. And I think the more we can teach that to our children, the idea that, listen, we have a Heavenly Father, we have a God, He sent us here to learn And part of this learning is you're good at some things and you're not good at other things. Son, you're not the best baseball player in your school. That's okay, because let me tell you some of the things you're really, really good at. Each of us has different gifts, and each of us can grow and develop. And part of the reason we're sent here to this earth by our loving Heavenly Father is to learn how to improve and how to get better and how to learn from other people, some of whom are better at things than we are. But in the long run, none of that matters as much as how good of a person you are, how kind you are, how much you love other people. Now, can a five-year-old understand that? Yes, he can. Can a six-year-old? Can you put it in a dimension that's a little higher? So if he loses or doesn't get a superior in music or doesn't get chosen for the team, he can say, well, that's all part of this experience of life. He'll feel bad, but can you give him this bigger perspective in which to have a, a, a paradigm where he's not a loser? Exactly. And we also have, in addition to a father and, and mother in heaven, we also have a savior. Right. And the savior, and I think most people listening will be Christians, maybe not, we... Uh, we absolutely love talking with others who are not Christians as well as Christians because they have so much good to and offer. so much in common. This same bigger perspective but that for anything. Concept most most everybody would be Christians listening to this, but that, that concept of a savior, you'll be saved from losing. I yeah, mean, exactly. You can always turn to that voice. Trust and, in that, not in yourself. Right. Because we're all flawed. We're all, you know. Just as we all have gifts, we all have some things we're really bad at, and that's okay. That's okay because we have somebody who can train us and help us and hold us up and so on, and that is our salvation. We've um, depended on that so much all of our lives, and that is the win. right? That's the real win. Thank you. So bottom line, the three-letter lesson win is not you got to win all the time. That's not the three-letter lesson. The lesson is... Let's understand winning in the bigger sense. And we are all winners if we love our love each other and if we love the Lord. So thanks for joining us. We hope you've given something we've given you some things to think about, and we'll see you next time on Iris on the Road.